0: Hello and welcome to Vibrant Lives podcast. This is a podcast dedicated to your health and well-being, featuring interviews with experts about nutrition, physical and mental health, and my five-minute food fact series. I'm Amanda Hayes, your host, a lawyer turned nutritionist, with a deep curiosity to learn about living a healthy, active and fulfilling life, which I would call a vibrant life, and sharing what I learn with you, Here on this podcast, before I introduce today's guest, I will mention that although I will often be speaking with experts, any information or advice provided in Vibrant Lives podcast is not intended to treat, cure or prevent any injuries or medical conditions. And it's never a substitute, of course, for advice from your own health professionals. Today, it is my pleasure to be here with Associate Professor Tim Windsor, who's at the College of Education, Psychology and Social Work at Flinders University here in South Australia. Tim's areas of research interest include changes in activity engagement, social behaviour, emotional regulation and cognition that occur during adulthood and ageing. And he's also interested in psychosocial characteristics such as control beliefs and a sense of purpose that contribute to effective self-regulation and development over the lifespan. So today we'll be discussing aging well and what we can do to increase our chances of continuing to enjoy a good quality of life as we age. So first of all, to set the scene, most of us know that the Australian population is aging and to put that in context, in 2017, 15% of Australians, that is 3.8 million, were aged 65 and over. And this proportion is projected to grow steadily over the coming decades. This is partly due to an increase in life expectancy and Australians now enjoy one of the highest life expectancies in the world. So according to the Australian Bureau of Statistics, a boy born today would be expected to live to 80.9 years and a girl to 85. An important caveat to that is that Indigenous Australians, on average live 10 years less for men and for women, so we certainly have a long way to go when it comes to closing the gap. As we age, biomedical risk factors such as blood pressure or insulin resistance increase, and these contribute to serious disease such as cardiovascular disease and type 2 diabetes. Also, behavioural or lifestyle factors play into disease risk, and these are things like physical activity, smoking, obesity alcohol consumption. Recent data shows that only 35% of Australians over 65 are sufficiently active and 72% are either overweight or obese. And whilst that's not ideal, on the upside what it means is there actually are things that we can do to improve people's quality of life and their life expectancy. So let's dive into this with Associate Professor Tim Windsor. Today I'm here with Associate Professor Tim Windsor from the College of Education, Psychology and Social Work at Flinders University here in South Australia. Hi, Tim. Hi, Amanda. Uh, Tim, thank you so much for coming on Vibrant Lives podcast today. And I'd like to start our chat with some quickfire questions just to get an, to know a little bit about you outside your role as Academic and researcher. so Tim, where did you grow up?
1: I grew up on a sheep farm uh, near Harden, which is a small town in southern New South Wales uh, in right. the Southwest slopes area.
0: Oh, that must have been nice. did Did you uh, go to boarding school or could you uh, attend school there?
1: I did go to boarding school we we didn't live um, it probably would have been an hour or so uh, bus trip to to town, so okay. Um, it wasn't uh, it wasn't an essential option to go to boarding school but I did I did in fact go to Yanko Agricultural High School um, right in the Murrumbidgee irrigation area um, rights.
0: Wow. I bet that was a nice place to grow up. It was. Mm. And Tim, your go-to meal for dinner.
1: Go-to meal Well I think uh, a regular one is the um, standard roast chicken from the supermarket with salad. Not very adventurous, but very convenient. Yeah,
0: nice and healthy and easy. And what are you reading right now?
1: um, Well, I have to confess to not reading a book right at the minute, but I am listening to an audio book, which is um, uh, Crossroads by Jonathan Franzen.
0: Oh right, yes, I've read some of his books. He's he's a good writer, isn't he? Keeps you uh, on your toes.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, he did. He he goes quite in depth into um, human aspects of human relationships and motivation, which, um, yeah, I think is is interesting.
0: And Tim, what's your favourite form of exercise?
1: Um, Well, my favourite form would be any sort of ball sport, Um, whether it's cricket or football or or soccer. Um, Not that I play many of those things these days, but um, I do a bit of running and, and go to the gym a bit. Which is good. I I do enjoy those things, but uh, it's always more fun when there's a ball and and teams involved. I think so. um, Yeah, they'd be my favourites.
0: Excellent. And your favourite or dream holiday destination in Australia and outside Australia?
1: Mm. Well, in Australia, I think uh, would be the Northern Territory. I I haven't been there, and I'd love to go to Uluru and and Kakadu National Park. So um, that would be the local destination. Internationally. There are lots of places I'd, I'd like to go, but probably the one that that immediately comes to mind is Spain. I think I'd like to um, experience some of the culture there and, and um, some of the, the exotic things that Spain has to offer. Yeah, so, and the
0: wonderful food. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Mm. So, Tim, in the introduction, I set the scene for for today's discussion with an overview of ageing in Australia. And as most of us are aware, the Australian population is ageing. So understanding factors that influence both ageing well and enabling people to continue to enjoy a good quality of life are really important to individuals and to society as a whole. So I thought it would be good for us to start with, you know, the real basics to get an understanding of ageing. So, Tim, can you define for us or tell us what your understanding of Aging is what's aging?
1: Mm, It's a it's one of those questions that seems like it should be really simple, but Mm. in fact, it's quite complex. Yeah, Um, there are a few different ways to think about aging. We can think about it in simple terms of chronological age, which is just our time since birth, Um, but really, chronological age is only a marker for the processes of Mm. aging because they're much more about biological changes. Um, So, um from a biological standpoint aging is more typically thought of in terms of the the cellular changes and and damages that accrue and accumulate over time um as well as um, losses in physical and mental um capacity that occur from from adulthood into later life
0: so what you're saying if i understand correctly is that people can age at different rates so someone might yeah Oh, that's interesting
1: We would often think of biological age as, as potentially being quite different to chronological age. Someone who's um, very um, active and fit and healthy in their seventies might have the the biological age of a of a forty or fifty year old, and someone who leads a very unhealthy lifestyle um, might have a much older biological age relative yep. to their chronological age.
0: Yeah, and I guess we, we see examples of that all around us uh, in society. So the other thing I'm really mm-hmm. curious about this, and I'm not sure, <laughs> I think there are various theories about this, but why do we even age? What's the function of ageing for humans? Uh,
1: it's another question that I don't think is all that well understood. Um, most biological organisms do Um, experience this process of of senescence, the the gradual deterioration of one's um, physical makeup. But um, interestingly, a couple of organisms have been discovered that apparently don't um, uh, deteriorate in the way that most of us do, that things like Hydra, these tiny little jellyfish-like freshwater creatures that apparently have a a capacity to regenerate stem cells that, that has no limit so um, they can just keep going on and on and there's another kind of jellyfish apparently that um, uh, isn't subject to these normal processes of aging it can detach and form a new little blob and regenerate itself so um, so there are some exceptions but I guess most biological things do have a a finite lifespan Um, and there are different theories of of why aging happens from theories that are more concerned with potential programming of our biological systems where we have this inbuilt um, uh, lifespan yep. that that means we will um, experience cellular deterioration that's kind of pre-programmed. And there are also wear and tear theories that suggest that over time we simply wear out through use and environmental exposure. And, of course, those things aren't mutually exclusive either. It may be that we kind of have a pre-programmed limit to our biological potential that can be accelerated by... Um, exposure to wear and tear. So, yeah. Um, but in terms of a broader function of, of why we age, I'm not sure that that's um, very well understood.
0: No. I mean, I couldn't find a, a, a definitive answer for that when I was digging around. But mind you, I'd, I'd rather be a human that ages than a, than a hydra, I think. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Me too, I think.
0: And just sort of leading on from that, um, so medical knowledge and technology has improved, as have our lifespans along with that. So where does it end? Do you think that there is a potential or what is the longest lifespan you think that would be possible for humans? Do do we know that or is that even worth talking about?
1: Well, there was a study published in, in Nature Communications earlier this year and a group of researchers looked at uh, blood samples that were taken from a very large uh, population of participants from different countries across the world, and, and they took these samples longitudinally. And I won't pretend to understand the, the science behind this, but um, the authors were able to uh, analyse these blood samples in a way that um, gave them a, an opportunity to model how people could, could be expected to age over time, in the context of different disease exposures, mm-hmm. and what they came out with was an upper limit to the human lifespan of about one hundred and fifty. Right. right. So, according to this, um, uh, I guess the takeaway message from this is that we can certainly continue to improve our treatments of disease and um, and our, our approaches to health. Um, but even uh, if we're able to intervene to to cure all diseases and um, and uh, prevent those kind of normal or, or more commonly experienced mm-hmm. ageing-related health problems, we still have uh, a point at about 150 where our bodies will wear out as a yeah. result mm-hmm. of natural processes of ageing and, and that there's no real um, uh, prospect of going beyond that unless we can find a way to intervene and, and actually change the ageing process itself, mm-hmm. which yeah. interestingly yeah. the authors suggest isn't isn't necessarily um. They, they say there's no natural law that suggests that, that couldn't potentially be done. So I, I have no idea how it, how it could be done. But um, yeah. that I think is kind of the state of thinking at the moment.
0: It's a, it's a conundrum, though, isn't it? I mean, I guess there's lots of ethical and moral questions that come into that. Do we even want to do that, et cetera, et cetera. But the other thing that's a little bit related to that is some people refer to ageing as a disease. And implying that it could potentially be cured. So leading on from what you just said, do you think that's a is that what's being spoken about? Is that the?
1: I think people are interested in that possibility. I I don't know. I think we're a long way away from um, from the potential likelihood of that happening in terms of the science. But it is something that people are interested in and and are looking at, and and perhaps there are some sorts of future ways of. using gene therapies or something that right. might um, mm-hmm. work to extend people's lifespans in a more dramatic way. But um, yeah, I think it's, it's not something that's going to happen in, in our lifetimes, I yeah. think.
0: Okay, so we don't need to worry about it. I don't it. think we need to worry about it, no. <laughs> no good. Um, so onto your area of expertise, um, as we've mentioned, the elderly are a growing proportion of our population here mm-hmm. in Australia and in many um, countries like Australia so aging well is really important and it's an interesting area of research i think so how on earth did you end up in this particular area tim
1: well my background is in psychology i um, did a phd at the university of new england looking at aspects of people's um social behavior Um, and as part of that phd i was focusing on the transition from adolescence to adulthood and changes in the way people attribute cause and effect relationships and, and how that might influence their behaviour. And so um, my PhD work had a bit of a developmental focus, but not a not a focus that was specific to, to later life. And um, it was after finishing my PhD, I, I got a job at the Australian National University working in an ageing research unit um, as part of the Centre for Mental Health Research. And it was at that time that... Um, I applied, I guess, an interest that I already had in in human development more into that specific area of um, later life. And um, it's for those reasons that you mentioned before, our ageing population and the fact that this is um, a really topical and important area of study at, at this point in human history that made it um, one of particular interest to me.
0: I'd like to talk about ageing in a, in a positive way, I guess. So let's talk about what we know um, about aging well from a psychosocial point of view. so um, you've conducted some research into the importance of meaningful engagement for life in older adults and can you explain to us what is meant by meaningful or purposeful engagement?
1: The way I see meaningful engagement is is really in terms of people's scope to take part in activities that um, are imbued with a sense of purpose so so things that they find, fulfilling and purposeful um, and generally provide a sense of uh, meaning in terms of their day-to-day lives and are often activities that also are also associated um, with with positive emotions, although not exclusively. Sometimes things w- we do are very important to us that aren't necessarily fun or, or enjoyable yep. but, but are still um, meaningful and important. So generally those activities that provide a sense of purpose to our, to our day-to-day mm-hmm. existence.
0: So I guess then that can be, I guess, vastly different for, for different yes. people, just like whatever age you are. Um,
1: That's definitely. Yeah.
0: And I also read that there needs to be or it's, it's ideal if there's a degree of challenge in the activities that the elder pe- that elderly people undertake um, to keep them engaged and fulfilled. So what can you tell us about that?
1: Well, some of our research uh, that we conducted looking at activities in, in very old adults focused on people's, um, the degree to which they saw their activities as meaningful and challenging and also their experience of positive and negative emotions mm-hmm. around, around those activities. And we found that um, people reported high levels of positive emotion when their activities were rated as both high in meaning but also more challenging. Right. But we also found that they reported more negative emotion when their activities were higher in meaning and more challenging. So it wasn't really a clear-cut picture there. I see. Um, it, it was a little bit complex in terms of the pattern of findings. But what I would say is that there's a strong evidence base that one of the, the psychological needs that we have that promotes a sense of well being is the need for um, feelings of competence or mastery Mm -hmm. around the activities that we do. So um, it's quite well established that doing goal-directed activities where we can um, experience achievement and satisfaction out of attaining new goals seems to be important for for maintaining a a positive sense of self-image and and positive emotions. So what would go along with that is that learning new things and Um, challenging ourselves to some degree is likely to be a part of that um, rather than just sticking with familiar routine activities that we're comfortable with Um, having said that we also know that stress is um, bad for us in a number of ways uh, apart from um, being unpleasant in and of itself ongoing stressful experiences um, have negative effects on our on our bodies and our brains so we want to avoid any kind of ongoing stress where we can, but at the same time give ourselves the opportunity to learn new skills and um, challenge ourselves in ways that enable us to have that sense of achievement um, around our our, um, day-to-day activities.
0: So again, I guess that is very individual, um, depending on a person's um, level of, I guess, uh, competence and various things, Mm. but also Mm. there must be I guess, a sweet spot of challenge where it's not so difficult that it's um, yeah. it undermines how you feel, but yeah. difficult enough that you feel, as you say, like you've achieved something.
1: Yeah, and, and it's one of the things that we're really interested in in this area is how people regulate their goals in ways that allow them to, I guess, to find that sweet spot where um, as we age we do um, experience some losses in aspects of our uh, physical capacity, for example, or perhaps our cognitive capacity, and so things that uh, or activities that um, may have provided that sense of meaning or purpose that we've undertaken in the past might come to a point where um, we can't do them anymore. So, yeah. sporting endeavours um, might become untenable when when we get older and, and don't have the same physical attributes that we once had. But of course, many people adapt to that very well by maybe disengaging with the goals around one certain sport but then re-engaging with a new, less intense yeah. um, activity, whether that's moving from football to golf or from um, netball to bowls or, or whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, but you, you can apply that those same sorts of processes um, right across all aspects of life um, in terms of how we uh, actively engage with goals in ways that support our our desire for for mastery but then an optimal situation is one where we can also flexibly disengage when the goals become too difficult to meet Mm. but then re-engage with new goals that provide a a better fit with our resources and and so we do see this ongoing process of goal management um, as we get older and many older people get very good at managing their lives in ways that support those goals that provide a good fit with their resources.
0: That's really interesting because I'm 50 now and I still have goals that I've had since my 20s in terms of running and various things I like to do. And -hmm. the thought of not being able to do those things Mm -hmm. fills me with fear, I guess. But maybe as I get older what I want to do will change. I guess it's yeah. all about adaption, isn't it? And
1: it, it is, and it may be that it's not the time to let go of those goals for you <laughs> just yet, but, yet. Um, but, but maybe in 10 or 20 years, things will be different.
0: Yeah. If we're talking about cognitive health as we mm. age, could you give us some examples of some things that people can do as they're aging to maintain their cognitive health? Yes.
1: Um, Physical health is really important for cognitive health, particularly yeah. heart health. So all of the things that people do to um, maintain a healthy heart, like regular exercise, good diet, avoiding smoking. Um, if, you, if your heart's in good shape, then your brain's also more likely to be in good shape. Um, so those things are all important. Um, and also increasingly uh, people interested in in cognitive ageing are emphasising the importance of staying intellectually engaged as we get older. And um, this has really come out of a lot of work over the last 20 years or so, which has supported this idea of brain plasticity, that our brains uh, continue to um, be flexible and uh, we can generate new neurons um, even when we're getting older. And our brains seem to be capable of recruiting different neural networks to support particular cognitive tasks. And um, much of what we understand about cognitive ageing has been changed um, by studies that have shown uh, when autopsies are conducted on the brains of people who have died, sometimes people can have very substantial neuropathology associated with Alzheimer's disease, such as uh, amyloid plaques, which is a known cause of Alzheimer's disease, um, and yet maintained very good cognitive functioning right up until they died. So it suggests that um, neuropathology alone um, isn't the uh, determining factor for for cognitive health. So that's I guess led to some optimism that there are lifestyle things people can do to maybe help to um, maintain cognitive functioning, even um, if they might be experiencing um, some uh, neurological losses. And usually uh, the types of activities that are suggested are around learning new skills and yeah. um, doing uh taking part in, in hobbies that are stimulating and require us to think in in different and creative ways. Yeah, sure. um, So it really adheres to a use it or lose it kind of um, philosophy that uh, to give ourselves the best chance of staying cognitively healthy for as long as possible, um, we need to um, keep challenging ourselves with intellectually stimulating activity.
0: Yeah, I mean, that does make sense, doesn't it? It's like our... Our muscles, you know, use them or lose them. Um, yeah. I think some of the things that I've heard suggested are learning a a, a new language or yeah. doing crosswords. Um, yeah. Yeah. Learning an instrument. I think even learning a game like chess or bridge or something yeah. like that. Yeah. I imagine
1: would yes, be good. Yes, all, all of those things are good. And um, what we do know from the cognitive training literature um, is some of some of the um, there's a whole industry now around brain games and yes. Uh, things that you can play to in order to stay cognitively fit and those things may be helpful to a degree but um, uh, the research is still sort of um, reaching a consensus on that there's a little bit of uncertainty as to just how effective these things are but what the research does seem to show is that participating in a particular kind of brain training will help you to get very good at the activity that you're doing but those skills won't necessarily transfer into, into other domains so it'll be interesting to see how that how the 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 research literature around brain training develops over the next few years um, to give us a good sense of just how effective um, those sorts of things might be
0: yeah that is very interesting because as you say that i'm imagining those games you can perhaps download on your phone um Mm -hmm. i guess what's missing in that scenario is if you're learning something like the piano or going to a singing class you're engaging with other people as well so there's yep. more going on. There's the learning plus the interaction. Yes. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. As we say, it's important to stay engaged and, and particularly, I believe, to maintain social engagement. Mm. Yes. But of course, um, for some people, that's easier said than done, particularly for people who might be physically limited or, or lonely, for example. Yep. So, what can be done then to facilitate or reduce barriers to engagement? for elderly people?
1: Mm. Mm. Well, there's already a lot of really good work that's been done in the community. Uh, In South Australia, for example, local councils tend to be very proactive in um, supporting and offering programs um, to cater to the needs of older people who might be um, at risk of social isolation. Um, But there are... there are always opportunities to do more. I think things like having well-designed urban spaces is yeah. important to enable people to get out and move around in their um, local environment safely and where there's an opportunity for people of different generations to have contact with each other and, and create stronger communities. So that, that there's an element of urban planning to that as well yeah. as, um, uh, I suppose, an, an opportunity for um, building stronger communities through um, community initiatives. Also reducing negative views of ageing um, yeah. at, at a broader social level, I think is something that's going to be really important in the coming years. Uh, it's already important, but it'll become increasingly so with our ageing population. And it, it's quite, um, it's interesting that of the various different kinds of discrimination we have in society um, ageism seems to be tolerated more for some reason um, mm-hmm. than other forms of discrimination. It, it seems to be more accepted and, and less challenged. And it's also the only form of discrimination that will ultimately affect all of us if we live long enough to reach old age. So yeah. um, it's, it's in our self-interest to reduce um, ageist attitudes and ageist views because we're all eventually going to get to a point where we'll be confronting those things.
0: Absolutely. I mean, we do live in a culture, I think, that glorifies youth, and no doubt, Tim, you've interacted with a lot of um, older Australians in your work. Mm. Do they anecdotally report experiencing ageism, and um, and what are the kind of things that might happen?
1: Yeah, that, that's interesting. Well, probably the best example I can give you is a recent survey we conducted. Um, in an area of Adelaide where we actually directly asked people about their experiences of ageism um, we asked how how often they'd been um, talked down to or um, discriminated against or abused or refused service or those sorts of examples because they were older and the good news is that um, rates of those sorts of experiences were actually very low. few That's people good. reported experiencing those more, Overt kinds of ageism, but I think often it's a much more subtle thing that that maybe doesn't necessarily register. And uh, when people are, are being asked directly about these clear negative experiences, but it's yeah. smaller things of just maybe perhaps feeling like one no longer has the confidence that they once had to participate in a in a social group, or or feeling that maybe people would prefer if they weren't involved in activities because they, they, they're not seen as positively because they're older. And
0: mm. um,
1: and part of that, I think, relates back to this broader concept of um, negative stereotypes about ageing and, and is part of some work that, that has been done by um, Becca Levy and, and her colleagues at, at Yale University, and, and she talks about this notion of stereotype embodiment where... Um, the idea is that from a very young age we can be exposed to negative views of ageing and then as we grow older, um, eventually we uh, those views become self-relevant as we, as we recognise ourselves as getting older. Suddenly these things that were about the external world suddenly become about us and it, and it can create negative views of ageing and negative views of ourselves that can restrict us in terms of... Um, what we still might be able to get out of life, um,
0: yeah.
1: even into our later years. So, so yeah, I think it's uh, trying to trying to um, emphasise the positive aspects of ageing, which there are a number of things, is an important goal socially yep. versus yeah. individuals.
0: And I think uh, in Australia as well, a lot of older Australians give enormously to the community in a volunteer capacity. And a lot of uh, grandparents I know help with childcare and things like that. And some people would be lost without that kind of help.
1: Most definitely, older adults make a massive contribution socially and economically, even even once they're out of the um, paid workforce. So um, yeah, I think it's it's something that's very good and important to recognize.
0: Some of the research I believe you've done as well, Tim, is in relation to mindfulness-based meditation in older adults. Yeah. Can you tell us a bit about what you looked at and what did you find in relation to that?
1: Sure. Um, Well, I really have to give credit here to my uh, postgraduate student, Leanne Marlow, who was very much the, uh, the driving force behind this work that contributed to her PhD project. But we focused on individual differences between people um, that reflected characteristics that we would associate with mindful yep. uh, mindfulness and mindful behaviour. So mindfulness refers to um, the awareness that arises from being um, uh, focused on the present moment in a non-judgmental way and it's something that's often cultivated through meditation. Yes. Um, and we found that compared to people in midlife, older adults tended to have higher levels of what we call trait mindfulness compared mm-hmm. to, to midlife adults. We also found that mindfulness was more strongly related to some aspects of well-being um, among older relative to, to middle-aged people. Uh, we trialled an app. Uh, many people are probably familiar with the Headspace oh, yes. um, app, which is a... Um, mindfulness meditation-focused app and, and we uh, trialled that with a group of older adults because it, there's been quite a bit of research done around the app but not with an older group and, and it, the results of that study showed that it was um, quite uh, accessible and, and viewed generally positively by the older people that used it and who also showed some improvements in well-being over the course of, of using the app. Um, and we also looked at moment-to-moment experiences of mindfulness Um in a uh, a sample of people where we uh, used a a method where people would get a smartphone um, text message multiple times throughout the day and they'd answer one or two questions about what was going on during those moments. And we found that on moments when people reported higher levels of mindfulness, they also reported less negative emotional reactivity to stress um, when it occurred in those moments. Um, And, again, we found this um, age moderation effect where those those Um, stress buffering effects seem to be uh, stronger among older relative to younger participants. When I say younger, I guess um, I'm I'm talking about middle-aged people Mm. um, as opposed to older people.
0: Now, that's interesting. One of the questions I'd planned to ask, but you've kind of already answered it, was do you think we naturally become more mindful as we age? And I think it sounds like even without mindfulness training, that might be the case. And I'm interested that many cultures revere their elders mm. and I know in a lot of or Asian cultures, for example, the elderly live with the, the family mm. um, and so that's a good way that we can help or they, they're helped to be looked after. Do you think in Australia that I know you talked about community initiatives but do you think as a society we do enough to look after our older Australians?
1: Uh, in many ways, I think we could be doing a lot better. Uh, and I think the, the recent Royal Commission into Residential Aged Care bears that out. Oh, yeah, um, it does. Identifying um, a lot of systemic problems and areas that, that need to be improved. So, yeah, there, there's a lot of great work being done and, and a lot of um, individuals working in. In that industry and others who are doing um really important and good work in terms of supporting older people but without doubt there's more that we could be doing and um and i think it's just important to keep keep posing those questions and, and thinking about the different ways that in, in a broad social sense we can be um having better intergenerational connections and, and yeah more cohesive communities with older people but also in those who are vulnerable, how we can do a better job of um, supporting and caring for those people.
0: Yeah, Tim, I understand that uh, your parents are still alive, and are they living on the land still, or are they in a in the city, in a city?
1: Oh, they've moved into, into town, so they're they're no longer on the farm, but they're still living in uh, in Young, a country town in New South Wales.
0: Oh, right. And are they living independently?
1: They are. Yes. Mm. Yes. They're. Um, Uh, They're now uh, in their 70s and 80s respectively but they're they're both doing well and um, living independently and and hopefully for many years to come.
0: Yes and aside from genes which we can't control what just observing your own parents what lifestyle factors do you think have contributed to their you know their well-being as they're aging?
1: Mm, mm. I'm sure there are a lot of different and, and complex things, but just a couple that I suppose come to mind are that um, my, my mum's very socially engaged and yeah. intellectually engaged. She's part of a um, discussion group and um, who work through um, different topics of, of interest that, that, that has a strong intellectual component. Uh, they've both been volunteers in different organisations for for many years both before and after retirement so they've maintained that civic engagement mm-hmm. um that i think it's important uh, i'm sure uh dad's many years of being a farmer has, has kept him pretty physically fit yes there's also been a contributing factor so like all of us they're they're not perfect in every way but um they've done a lot of the, the things that we know can can help to promote um health and, and vitality into later life.
0: Yeah, I know. It's very important. Sadly, as most of us know, some people who maintain healthy and active lifestyles do end up succumbing to disease as they age. But this certainly doesn't mean we shouldn't aim to keep fit and engaged things. Yeah,
1: sadly, that, that is true. And uh, I suppose um, as individuals, all we can do is, is do our best to reduce our risk. Um, yes, absolutely. We do we do have a well have a I guess a genetic makeup that, that constrains um, our potential, but mm. um, but there are there are still some things that we can do to, to optimize our our individual circumstances.
0: Tim, thanks so much for sharing your wisdom with us about aging. And just to wrap up, there's a few questions I really like to ask my guests. So, Tim, who inspires you?
1: It's a great question. Um, a lot of people in my life inspire me some of my work colleagues and um family and friends are inspiring just in, in the way that they um tackle seem to be able to tackle any obstacle that's put before them and and keep moving onwards and upwards uh but in terms of well-known people someone that i at the moment i'm finding strangely inspiring is well maybe not strangely but it's a bit left field but Ange postocoglu the Um, Australian football coach who's um, got a a job with Celtic now, a big European club, and and he's gone into a pressure cooker situation of being expected to have immediate success and having to rebuild a a team that was performing poorly under heavy media scrutiny. And and he's done it in a very kind of... um, He's done it his own way, and he and so far he's doing really well, and, and um, sticking to his guns. And he has his way of doing things, and he's just um, he's he's like ACDC, I think. He's hit a formula that works, and he's uh, he's going to stick with it. But watching watching him has been an interesting ride. So so yeah, he's someone that's I guess inspiring me at the moment.
0: Sounds like a real life version of Ted Lasso. I don't know if you've <laughs> watched or yeah.
1: that. I'm not sure he's quite as sensitive a New Age as Ted Lasso.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and finally, I like to ask uh, all my guests if you could recommend two things that people could do to improve their well-being. What would they be? Anything at all?
1: Yeah. Uh, well, I think one's one is regular exercise. Um, yeah. We all know we should do it, and some of us enjoy it more than others. But I think even if Those who don't enjoy it almost always appreciate the benefits of it. So exercise I think is really important and um, just making time to do or to uh, engage in those simple pleasures of life that might not always seem that spectacular but that ultimately sustain us, whether it's making time to go for a walk in nature or um, reading a good book or cooking something we like to eat or Mm. I guess, appreciating those small moments and and ensuring that we we do the things that sustain us.
0: I think that is something that as we get older, we get a lot better at doing.
1: Yeah, I think so too.
0: And Tim, if someone's interested in looking at uh, the research and the work you're involved in, what's the best way for them to do that?
1: Just searching or Googling Tim Windsor and Flinders will bring up my website page on the Flinders University system and they
0: can go have a look at what you're what you're involved in which studies etc so i'll put a link to that in the show notes tim thank you so much for coming on vibrant lives podcast it's been a pleasure to speak with you today
1: well thanks for inviting me amanda Um, i appreciate it
0: and that was associate professor tim windsor sharing his knowledge about how to age well it was clear from that discussion that looking after both our physical and cognitive health are equally important as is social engagement I was struck, but sadly, not all that surprised to hear that ageism is more tolerated than other forms of discrimination. So the change starts with us. How about we start a micro movement by smiling at all the elderly people we see out and about in our communities? Thank you for tuning in today. And I do hope that you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, please share the podcast and tell your friends about it. And if you could take a minute or two to leave a rating on Apple Podcasts, it will help people find my podcast, and I'm always really grateful for that. Please follow me on Instagram at vibrant underscore lives underscore podcast, or on Facebook at Vibrant Lives Podcast, and you can visit my new website designed by the very excellent people at Clever Fox Creative at www.vibrantlivespodcast.com. I really do love hearing from you, my listeners, so please email or DM me if you have any suggestions or any feedback or just like to say hi. That would be really lovely. So thank you so much for listening today. Eat well, move well, think well.